Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. And I'm Aubrey, and we're so glad that you're with us today. We have another incredible episode for you. Davey, we are joined by Megan Smalley, who is, I mean, she's an author. She's a CEO of an online apparel apparel company called Scarlet and Gold. She's also a community leader for those walking through infertility. Uh, It's called her community is called The Sisterhood. She's a wife and a mother of three. And her story is, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Yes. Because yes. so many couples struggle with this, uh, the right. pain of infertility, but I don't know that we give a lot of voice to it. And so no. she experienced four years of infertility, went through two right. rounds of IVF. She's a mother of three now, but she, what she says, and I think this is really important, that it's not something you just move on from once you have right. a baby, right? So it's not right. just like, oh, I'm healed now. It's that there's yeah. so much pain in that season. But what's powerful yep. about her story, she was also awakened to so much grace. Um, yeah, she even wrote a book good. about it called Give Grace, How to Embrace the Beauty of Life's Brokenness, where she talks about you know some of the things that she learned in her season of infertility. So I think our listeners yeah. are going to love this conversation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you're right. It is a very prevalent issue. Something we are, I mean, so many people are experiencing. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I, I leaned in and I asked her in this conversation that I'm so, she gave such a great answer and she really, Mm. but it was, it was something I wrestled with. I'm like, you know, there's probably other people who are wrestling with this and that's the ethical dilemma of IVF. Oh, sure. The potential ethical because, you know, I've, I've heard those conversations from people who have wrestled through that. And I'm like, wow, let me ask somebody who has wrestled mm. with this themselves. And they have a community of people who are wrestling through this. Yeah. Some of you might be like, what? There's an ethical dilemma about it. And that's OK if, if there's not one for you. But just know that there are a group of people that yeah. they wrestle with that. And yeah. so they're like, yeah. should I, you know, some people see it almost as like, am I playing God? And so mm-hmm. I like asked her, OK, as a believer, how did you come to terms with this as you wrestled in your own story? and everybody has to wrestle with it themselves. Everybody has to come to their own convictions by this, but I loved her answer as we wrestled through that. So there's some so things we good. get into that we never, we haven't really talked about much. I, I think so you're, you're going to be really blessed by this conversation with her. So let's go ahead. Let's listen to this little conversation. This little, let me try that again. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so let's go ahead. Let's listen to this conversation that I have with Megan Smalley. Megan, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, you know, um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see that Megan is sitting in her car, driver's seat, or is it the driver's seat of your car? Yes. Real life going on right here. (laughs) Real life. And every one of us uh, who has at least, you know, we we, kind of work for ourselves or we have kids or we, right, (laughs) or heck, COVID, we just get it, right? You got to find some quiet and solitude. (laughs) And how amazing is it that technology avails us the opportunity to podcast from your car? How cool is that? I know. It's really awesome. I run a business and I don't have an office in our shop. 
And so I do a lot of meetings from my car. I'm like, this this is what I am what you see is what you get and step into my office today. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. No, I 100% understand that. We office out of the house right now and it's like it's the most convenient and frustrating thing all at the same time. Yes. And you're like, man, when can we just like get our own space and just kind of find some you know, a sacred place to do this. But in the meantime, you do what you got to do. So thanks for yes. making the time to join us. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Well, listen, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, if our listeners aren't familiar with you or, you know, we're going to dive into your story in a second, but why don't you give us a little bit of context for who you are now, where you live, what your family's like, what you do, and then we'll dive into some of the painful parts of your story. Okay. I say, first of all, I'm Megan Smalley. I'm 35. I am a mother of three boys, four, almost five and under. Um, I'm a coach's wife. I'm a pastor's kid. Um, I'm from Texas originally, but we live in Auburn, Alabama. And I've lived in Alabama almost as long as I lived in Texas. So I feel like this is home for me. And I grew up in a big city, but... I've become quite the small town girl. I I just I grew up in Houston, one of the largest cities in the country, and um, didn't know any different. And now being in Auburn for so long, I've just learned the beauty of the slower paced life. Um, so I love it. My husband is a high school basketball coach. We spend our winter nights in the gym. I'm raising three wild boys who are my miracles, and I'll get into that more. Um, but we live a simple, slow life. I'm a business owner. Um, this this um, spring, we opened another part of our business called Ink and Thread. It's a printing business and went from five employees to 20 overnight. And it was a big jump and a leap of faith, but I'm thankful and it stretched me in so many different ways. But um, I, like I said, I do a lot. I, I, we, we haven't grown to the, I have an office in my home, but my kids are home some too. So as I'm sure anyone with kids can imagine, working from home with kids home is very hard. <laughs> so I, I'm just juggling a lot and I, I do find solitude in my car sometimes. Like mothers can relate like when you just need a moment sometimes you're like I just I, I don't care where I'm going I just need to get my car and drive and turn the worship music on loud and have a moment so I'm thankful to be yeah. here wow wow well you're right like you you need to find that solitude. you can't even find solitude in the bathroom with kids right you go into the bathroom <laughs> and try to find some solitude you got little fingers that are like sticking under the door like mom dad mom mom you know yes. so <laughs> true. yeah so that's true. amazing that's amazing so you're in auburn that's awesome i grew up in birmingham alabama I love so that. have you okay here's the big question and our listeners probably don't care but i care about this <laughs> okay. are you are you a an auburn Tigers fan. I are you am. War, Eager, War, War Eagle or are you? Oh, no. War Eagle. I graduated from Auburn mm. twice. I was an Auburn cheerleader. Wow. So I am, I am. Okay. So Auburn you're, you are indoctrinated. <laughs> yes. And it's part of my wow. business too. We wow. are officially licensed for Auburn and Alabama. We have a big game day business. I've, we're like the leader in women's apparel for Auburn and Alabama game day stuff. And 
So I do, I do sell both, but we are tried and true Auburn fans. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I'm an Alabama fan, but we won't hold that against us. You guys, talk about th- those of you guys who are listening to this, watching it on YouTube, you're not going to feel any tension whatsoever right yeah. here. We'll save that tension for off the conversation. No, no, that's what's beautiful too, Megan, is that no matter what, you know, in life we can joke and jest about, um, you know, Auburn, Alabama or any other kind of like uh, frivolous, trivial competitions that take place. But the thing that ties our spirits together, right, is the Lord, but then also the painful things that we've walked through and how we're finding purpose in our pain and how we're journeying that and letting God intersect and intervene in the midst of our pain. Yes. Um, so I'd love for you to dive into your story a little bit. You've got, you guys have quite a bit, a, quite a journey in infertility and, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, in IVF treatments. So let's, let's just hear, um, you know, where, where did this begin? How did this journey begin? Yeah, for you guys? So, I mean, like every young couple or most young couples, I would say, I never thought that infertility would be part of our story. I'm one of four kids my parents had no trouble whatsoever getting pregnant. They're, my mom had four kids in six years. And so I just didn't think that it would be part of our story as I think this is something with a lot of struggles, like you're blindsided. Some you can see coming on, but a lot of them, they blindside you. And that was my part of my story. I, I didn't expect for this to be our journey. And so I ha- I went through, I mean, we started trying, it wasn't working. We went to the doctor and we're blindsided with issues. And um, we were 27 and 28 and in a fertility clinic surrounded by what I felt like were a lot of older people. And I, you know, you go to the doctor and there are like all these posters with parts, body parts, and like little, um, I, I don't know, like replicas of body parts on the doctor's desk. And you're just like looking around, like, how is this my life? And how are we here? And they're talking to us like in infertility, if that's not part of your story, or you don't know anybody who's walked this road, IVF is like the last step. Um, the final thing, Um, that everybody hopes to never get to. And the doctor sat us down and told us at age 27 and 28 that that was our only chance to have biological children. And again, we were blindsided. And I think for a while, I just wrestled with like waking up every day, realizing, okay, like this nightmare is real. Like this is my story. And kind of accepting that, this is what we're walking through. And I I think that is no matter what the hard is and anybody's journey, that's a piece of the grieving process is just like, okay, this is real. Um, I think there's a tendency to want to run and avoid and hide from the pain and what you're walking through, but facing it head on and, and recognizing, okay, here we are ready or not, I didn't choose this, but I'm going to walk boldly forward and trust one step at a time. Um, I think that was really hard for me and infertility is like, there's a thousand different paths to go down and a thousand different opinions. And even like you could go to 10 different doctors and they tell you 10 different things. And you're like, 
And I mean, I'm a follower of Jesus and like the Bible is my guiding um, principle for everything in life. But the Bible says nothing about IVF and fertility Mm. treatments and anything like that. So it was really hard for me. It's like, okay, what, what do I do? Like, I just want somebody to tell me what to do. And it was really the first, I mean, I grew up in church and my, I'm the daughter of a pastor. I went to a Christian school my whole life. I had so many verses memorized. I, um, knew what I believed and why I believed it. But this was the first time in my life that I had faced something that I couldn't control on this level. And that, brought me to my knees in trust like nothing before because I like all the options were overwhelming and the from where I was standing to where I wanted to be felt like a million miles away and just impossible to get to Mm. so I mean step by step I just learned to focus on that next step like not 10 decisions ahead let's focus on today sometimes this hour and what do I need to do today how do I need to trust God today um now Mm. in this moment so yeah that is my story I mean fast forward we went through sorry go ahead that's okay no it's all right go ahead we went through two rounds of IVF. Um, we went to a local clinic and um, ended up with three embryos that were not good quality, told that my eggs were bad. Um, it was a horrible experience. Transferred all three. They didn't work. I was devastated. Um, we took about two years off because it drained completely drained our savings account and every ounce of emotional energy that I had. And we tried again out at CCRM in Colorado and that's where my miracle boys are from. There, um, I have three boys from one round of IVF, wow. twins, and then a 18-month-old boy. And I just look at them every day, and I'm reminded that they were never my plan. I plan to have kids a lot earlier than I am now, and I'm a very tired mid-30s mother of three wild boys, but I wouldn't trade it. Like, I can't imagine my life without them. And they just remind me that, like, I had different plans for my life, um, but God's plan is always best. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow, that's so good. You know, Megan, I I have to imagine that um, when the doctor came to you and, 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 and really broke the news to you, you know, there's some 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 problems here it's going to require IVF that that immediate um impact you know the emotions that you're experiencing the fears that you have the questions that you have you know the can you can you think through some of those like as you're I mean it's, it sounds like you're someone who you like to be able to plan you like to be able to, as most of us do right you you like to be able to have some sense of control mm-hmm. in life and now this all of a sudden has thrown your life out of control and you can begin to forecast and plan out all of these you know what ifs or how is this going to be or you know and these these dreams that you have can you think about some of those like what are the fears that really begin to creep in in that moment that maybe say- you know other people are experiencing as well Yeah, I mean, I would say fear number one, that God's answer was never going to be yes for us, for kids, that we would grow old and that this dream would never come to fruition 
for me and my husband, um, that was my greatest fear. Um, and I think I just wrestled a lot with like, and, and I believed all the lies, like, was this because of sin in my past? Um, was this because of something that I did? Um, was I not eating healthy enough? Was I not working? Like I wanted to, to find somebody, including myself to blame and, and to connect the dots. Um, like, okay, I did this. So this is what happened. This is like, like, this is why it's happening. And, um, our God doesn't work like that, but that's the lies of Satan that creep in when you're vulnerable to believe like, it's all about you. Something you did caused this. And, um, but yeah, I mean, so many fears, like is, is IVF the right thing? Um, as a Christian, should I pursue this? Um, am I making the right decision? Is this clinic the right place to go to? Is this the right doctor? Um, I mean, I questioned everything and kept going back to scripture and it's like, there's nothing in here. And that about these, this specific thing that I'm facing and that was really hard because sometimes I just like Mm. clarity of like, okay, you should do this and it is okay. And, um, I didn't have that in this situation and it stretched me and challenged me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting thing that you bring up, you know, in terms of, I'm sure a lot of people wrestle with that, especially believers when they think about IVF treatments and, um, kind of that, you know, in some ways intervening in the process. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of opinions on both sides of the spectrum. I'm sure you ran into a lot of opinions on both sides of the spectrum. Hundred you know, percent. To walk through that without without that clarity, one without the clarity from Scripture, it's like, don't you wish that explicitly it would say in Scripture, "This is what you need to Thou do." Shalt not There's a lot do of things IVF. in our context. <laughs> exactly right. Like you wish it would say one way or the other. There's a lot of things like that that we run into in life today in 2022. You know that. You know, scripture is written for a particular group of people in a particular time context, and it is pervasive across all of history. It is applicable and relevant to all of history, and yet, it, many times we have to look at it from a principle standpoint rather than like a actual, you know, precept type standpoint on some things. You know, and so I wonder if you can explain to us a little bit of your process as you and your husband were wrestling with that. Can you give us maybe some a framework? for how you went about making that decision and thinking through what does God say about this or how do we, you know, how do we pursue this or should we pursue this? Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot about discernment and what that really means Mm. and how to make decisions from a biblical standpoint when scripture says nothing about it. And, um, one of the things that we did was number one, search scripture for any, any verses and stories or anything on the topic. Um, and then search for relevant topics like, you know, the, the heart. I think so much of it is our heart, our, the attitude of our heart and, and the desire of our heart. Is it, do I want a baby more than I want a relationship with Jesus? Like is my relationship with him enough? And, um, that was very convicting for me. Um, am I placing my desire like that? Is that becoming a God in my life? 
Um, and then a huge part of it was seeking wise counsel. I think we don't talk about that enough from a biblical standpoint. Um, what is wise counsel? Um, it's very biblical, but not everyone gets a voice in your life and your decisions. Otherwise, you right. would have so many opinions. And we had to work through that a lot, like putting up boundaries and having um, clear-cut responses planned for people who offered unsolicited advice. But then we we sat down and chose who are the people that do get a voice in our decisions. And and we we went through kind of a list of criteria, like, do we respect them? Have they lived more life than us? Are they grounded in scripture? Do they want our best? It, like, do they have our best intentions at heart? Um, and we kind of checked the boxes, not kind of, we did check the boxes on all those things. And then we sat down with them, um, with a very open heart, not with an agenda, but like, okay, here's, here's where we are. What do you think? Um, here's what we've done. Um, I would love your counsel on this. Um, and that's how we came to our decision. And and even in IVF, there's a lot of micro decisions within the umbrella of IVF. Like it's not just to do IVF or not, but there's right. a lot of, um, I mean, to, to be fully transparent, Blake and I are sitting in, on one of those decisions. And that's that we have three kids and we have two embryos left. And we've, my husband feels um, like, our family is complete and we are, and, and I could be content with that too, but we are just constantly talking about obedience and, um, that those are lives and we are going to honor what God has given us. And it's not our place to say what we feel is complete for our family. And, and it's an act of trust, like to carry two more babies, God willing, feels daunting to me. I'm 35 and I'm tired. <laughs> My boys are exhausting from sun up to sundown. And I have a business and my husband is a teacher and a coach and he's gone a lot and we don't have family in town. And I could give you all the reasons that we should be done. Um, but it's an act of trust. It's like God. And I, we talk about this a lot. Do we trust him? Do we trust him to provide? Do we trust that he will make a way um, and will equip us? Um, so all that to say, there's a lot of micro decisions in that. And we, we revisit the process every time. Um, when we come to a hard decision that is not in scripture, I mean, I feel like this decision is in scripture more or less, um, not necessarily directly, but um you have to set up a process for making decisions biblically when things are not in scripture. And I would say, what is searching the Bible? What is, what does it say? Um, and then seeking wise counsel and then praying through it, getting still turning off all the opinions and, um, seeing where God leads you. Wow. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Very insightful. I love <clears throat> um, just that criteria that you guys formulated to say, how do we listen to the right voices? Right. You know, 
Um, and I think that's so good when it comes to any place in scripture where it doesn't seem explicitly clear, we have to run it through multiple filters. And a, a lot of those filters are wise, godly counsel, people that, like you said, they have your best interests at heart, but they also um, understand scripture. They understand the, the whole of it. They understand the nuances around some of some of the things in scripture. They understand principles that, you know, and, and they love you and they love Jesus, yes. right? They love the kingdom. And, 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 and so that's, that's so important because you're right. There is a form of voyeurism that happens, especially as you're beginning to make your story known and it's out there publicly. I'm sure there's a lot of opinions that you receive and yeah. very unsolicited opinions. And for whatever reason, because of social media, Facebook, everybody feels like because they have an opinion about someone's life, they should be able to vo- vocalize that opinion. Right. And they hide behind this little like the courage of this profile, you know, it's like, it can be so frustrating and yet create so much complication as you're just trying to navigate. Like, I just want to be obedient to the yeah. Lord. I want to steward what he's put in front of me right now, but right. you're bombarded with all of these other things, aspects of that equation. And so that's tough. That's tough. You know, Megan, one of the things that, um, infertility can, is, is a, is very much a type of grief that can bring about a lot of difficult, painful emotions. And, you know, one of the things that you advocate quite a bit, uh, you know, uh, uh, in your book is, is, is talking about really leaning into those hard things, wrestling with God in those emotions. Um, but here's the, here's the difficult thing. And I, I don't know necessarily how to phrase this because I know it can be very sensitive, um, when, when it comes to infertility, but, uh, I think what can complicate the matter with infertility um, often is that, you know, you're seeking advice and counsel from medical professionals too, and other, you know, people who can help. And and often they're going to say things like, okay, let's try to create some conditions or environment that's going to alleviate a lot of stress or distress, or, you know, they're trying to, um, into it, into and almost diagnose, like, why maybe are you struggling with conceiving? Right. And so that you, they create this prescription in some ways, right? Like this things that you mentioned, all right? right. Let's, let's look at your diet. Let's look at your exercise. Let's look at your stress levels. Let's look at your relational tensions that are, ha- let's look at all of these things and they're addressing all of this, which is good. It's not bad, right? It's, it's, it's a good way to approach things holistically. And, and yet you're carrying this grief because you've had this news that is, you know, it, it's, it, it has this huge impact on your emotions. And so I just wonder if you can talk, I don't, I don't know if I have a, a question of like solve the problem for me here, Megan, right. but I know that everybody who is experiencing infertility and you know, it more than most because of this community that you lead, they're wrestling with that. They're like, here's all these things I should do. And yet the more I try to do these things and I should do, it cr- creates more distress and more, you know, and I'm just, uh, I'm very, I'm really anxious and I, and it's like, so how, how do we begin to untangle this stuff and work through these difficult emotions? I would say the first thing with infertility that feels confusing and hard, and it's something that people who haven't walked this road don't get is you're grieving something that never was. If that makes sense, like you're grieving the loss of a dream, you're grieving the some people in infertility are grieving like miscarriages and the loss of a baby. But like for me, that wasn't my story. And so I think from the outside looking in, there's a lot of judgment and like, I don't get it. Like, what are you grieving? Like you didn't lose a child. You didn't 
lose a spouse, you didn't lose anything. And so what, what are you so upset about? And it's very hard to explain. And I got to the point where I was like, I don't owe you an explanation about why I feel grief. Um, and over this loss of a dream for my life. And, um, so that, that part of it is really hard, but you're right. Like when you're, it, it's hard to consistently come back to trusting God. And I, I think it's a daily heart check. Um, because when you're pursuing treatment, it's easy to get caught up in what the doctor says and what the doctor thinks is going to bring life. Um, and we, I just had to stay rooted in truth and surround myself with people who were pouring truth into me because, um, I had to, the fear every step of the way was all consuming. I'll never forget sitting in this like genetic counseling meeting we had, they required everyone to go to before our second round of IVF. And basically it was like biology 101 and they explained all the things that have to happen to have a live birth. And I mean, it was like Satan was Mm. hitting me from all sides. Like, this is never going to happen. Do you see how impossible this is? Like, look at all these things that are never going to happen for you. And I walked out and just burst into tears. And so it really takes like coming back. Like, I don't see how people who aren't rooted in truth navigate life in general, much less something like this, because you have to have a standard of truth. You have to know what you believe so that you can always come back there and measure everything that you hear against that, because it's so easy to be sucked in. I mean, the infertility treatment world is very dark and it's very worldly. um, And there's a lot of hope placed in processes and doctors, um, when I believe that ultimately God is the giver of life. And so I would say like to the woman who's wrestling over this, like the first issue you have to address is, do you believe in medical intervention at all? Um, Infertility is a medical diagnosis. Um, Something is wrong medically, like your body or your husband's body is not working how it was designed to work. Um, so would you pursue treatment if you had cancer, if you had a broken bone, if you were sick, like, do you believe in medical intervention? And, you know, you can, you can pursue medical intervention for cancer and God's answer is still no. Like he, he takes, so like he allows the life to like, he, sometimes the miracle doesn't happen. And same thing for infertility. Um, Sometimes you can do, the doctor can do all the right things, but God is still the breather of life. And if his answer is not yes, then it's not going to work. So it's hard to wrestle with that and in our simple minds kind of make it make sense. So like, I, you know, I had some people say, well, then why are you doing fertility treatment at all? If you just believe that God will breathe life. And it's like, well, I would pursue treatment if I was walking through cancer. I believe God created these things and gave us these tools to use, but ultimately he is our healer. And if he chooses not to heal, he chooses not to heal. But um, so, I mean, that's, 
that's where you kind of get into all these hard things. It's like, what, you know, what, what is your foundation? And you've got to bring everything back there because it is very confusing. And it's so easy to let, like you said, all these doctors and all these opinions lead you down a path. Like I know people who have run their hearts and their bank accounts into the ground over chasing this dream. And there just has to be an element, a huge element of daily surrender in this journey and in every life journey of like, okay, I'm going to take this next step, but I am surrendering my heart and the outcome to you. And if any point you say stop, um, I, I have to be okay with that. Wow. Yeah, man. That's so good. I, you know, I think it's, it's really important to acknowledge the fact that, um, sure. Modern medicine gives us an incredible opportunity to, um, to see things healed that would otherwise not be able to be healed. And at the same time, it's really the Lord behind all of that. And so it's a tool that he is using an instrument. He is choosing to use in those moments. Um, and in the same way he can intervene supernaturally. But I think often we can tend to look to those things, those types of interventions, those types of processes, those types of prescriptions, the, medical advice to be our savior, to be our Lord, to be the thing that we trust in, that we put our hope in. And the reality is, is the only thing, the only person that can be our savior, our Lord, the person we can put our full trust in is, is what's behind all of that. And that's Jesus. Um, that's, that's God. And, and he's sovereign over all of it and he can snap his finger and you, you know, um, you're, you're with life and have a baby or, or he can hold back as he chooses and wishes. And so it's this trust process. Um, so good, which is all of our journeys, right? It's this, this process of trust, learning how to trust the Lord. Totally. I mean, I, I have grown so much in what that looks like. And I think it's, it's good to have dreams and the God given dreams are wonderful. And, it's okay to make plans, but it's, it's, uh, we need to have a heart check. Um, our, like you said, are our plans and our dreams becoming Lord in our life? And are we okay? Um, if they don't happen, is Jesus really enough? And it's, it's just a daily, sometimes hour by hour act of surrender. Um, like not my will, but your will. Um, and that is humbling and very challenging. <laughs> yeah. Hey friends, I, I know that so many of you who are listening to this are currently carrying a heavy weight of pain and loss. I mean, after all, that's probably what drew you to our podcast. And here's what I know. I know when we start to process what's going on in our lives, we can often find ourselves paralyzed by the pain and not really knowing where to go from here. We even begin to to hear or tell ourselves lies like, this is the end of your story. This will always define you. And, and trust me, I've, I've been there. But, but I've also, as I've come through it, realized that those are just that. They're lies. This doesn't have to define you. This isn't the end of your story. 
With the help of others, I was able to navigate my way out of that valley. Listen, at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we exist to help you navigate your pain and even find purpose in that pain. So if you're new to our community and you're wondering where to start, or if you've been with us for some time and you're just looking to take a next step, I want to invite you to a free webinar that I'm hosting just for you. It's called Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story No Matter What You've Gone Through. In this webinar, I'm going to share with you a little bit of my own journey of how God met me and and guided me after losing my wife, Amanda. And I'm going to teach you five critical steps that you'll have to take in order to rewrite your story. The webinar is an hour and a half long, but I promise you, it will be well worth your time because in this webinar, you're going to learn how to regain a sense of agency and begin thriving, not just surviving, but thriving in the midst of trying circumstances. I'm going to teach you why having more questions than answers is an essential part of moving forward. I'm also going to teach you how to get rid of the overwhelming negative emotions that tend to bog you down and get you stuck. We're going to talk about the one keystone decision that is proven to get you out of your pain. And I'm going to teach you how to listen to the right voices when everyone seems to have an opinion on what you should do next. And listen, we're going to talk about a ton more. So if you're feeling weighed down, or paralyzed by the pain that you're experiencing, I want you to know you don't have to stay there. I would love to be your guide and show you the way back to thriving. So here's what you need to do. Go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here to sign up for this free webinar. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just click the webinar link on the show notes of this episode. We've made it extremely easy for you to sign up, and we're offering multiple date and time options for this webinar in order to work with your calendar. So go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Just click the webinar link that we've included in the show notes of this episode to sign up for your spot on this webinar. I believe this one step could be the very breakthrough that you need to put you on the redemptive path that God has for you. I'm in your corner can't wait to connect with you soon. Go ahead and sign up now. Look forward to seeing you. You know, one of the things that you talk about, by the way, um, Megan's book is called Give Grace, How to Embrace the Beauty of Life's Brokenness. It's a phenomenal title. I want to get into that title here in a second, but one of the things you talk about is the importance of talking about the difficult things you're going through. You're talking about the hard stuff. Infertility is one of those things I know. I mean, I'm a pastor. I've been in church world long enough. My dad's a pastor too, so I get it. And we don't like to talk about painful things in church. We want to whitewash our pain, but particularly infertility seems to be one of those silent, um, those those pockets of silent desperation where people they they're experiencing it, but they don't want to talk about it because it's a difficult thing to talk about, and 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 people also don't know how to approach it if if they know someone who's struggling with it. So. You talk about it's important to talk about this. It's important to be open about this. Um, how have you found that that, that helps, and, and how do you help people who you're working with in this community that you've started um, get comfortable sharing the painful parts of their journey? Yeah, I mean, this is a huge part of infertility, and I realized walking through it that so many people don't talk about it to anybody, and I have been a lot of people's first and only person that they have shared other than their spouse that they're walking through this. And that's heartbreaking. Um, We're just called to community and we're called to, and it's sad to me that 
people don't feel like they have a community around them that they could share openly about this and not feel judged and not feel like they're going to get a million opinions. Um, so I decided to start an infertility ministry called the Infertility Sisterhood. And it's a free online community where people can sign up as themselves or you don't have to put your real name and your real picture if you don't want to. But it's just a safe place for people to share online and ask for prayer requests and to read about other people's journeys and how, like, how are you navigating this? And what did you do for this? Like, I had two or three people, two couples that went before us in IVF and were that to me. Like, I asked them so many questions. Like, how did you get to your decision on this? Um, what did y'all decide on this? And it was really impactful for me as they led me. And I wanted to do the same for other people because it's so confusing. So we started this and I hope and pray, like my prayer for this community is that it is exactly what you said. Like maybe it is the first time anybody has shared with anybody. And if they don't have people in their real life that they can talk to about this, maybe this is a start um, for them to just raise your hand, their hand and say, I'm struggling. I am really having a hard day. Um, we all pray for me or can y'all coach me on these things? And um, yeah, so I think community is so vital to any grief journey. And I, I, my prayer is that this continually gets better in the church, that people feel um, a safe place place to come and open their heart and say, I'm struggling and I don't know what to do. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. We know we found that too, Megan, we have a, an online community platform as well, where people are able to connect in different places with different pain points, you know, whether they've awesome. lost a child or lost a spouse, or they've gone through a divorce or, you know, they're some kind of childhood trauma or some kind of chronic illness or, you know, but they're able to find other people because there's something about having that journey of the me too, right? There's something about that, that solidarity where someone, where you get to talk to somebody who gets it, who they, they've been there, they've experienced it. And they may not have all the answers. They may not be all the way through that valley, right? But there are a couple of steps ahead of you. They can point out to you these pitfalls or these landmines that you might encounter and they can spare you from falling into those in the same way that maybe they did, you know? And just reaching back and bringing people, other people along in the journey. And it's just so imperative and vital to have that. You know, we say we want to find that me too community, but we also want to move through that valley, right? So me too, and let's move through and creating that environment, which is what you've done with the sisterhood is so imperative to helping people as they're navigating whatever valley they're going through. Yes, I totally agree. I mean, I had a lot of friends who had never, and, and like my mom, had never walked this road, and they tried really hard to understand, and they were really amazing to me through this journey, but they didn't get it. Then there was this other group of people who, you, you don't have to say a word. You don't have to explain at all. They just get it, and you, your heart right. can just breathe a little deeper um, around those people. But I agree, like you can't stay stuck in the valley. You have to climb right. your way out. And sometimes you need somebody to pull you up, um, out, but the yeah. goal has to be 
to get up that mountain and down the other side. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. Can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, um, you know, bringing your husband into all of this, right? Cause you know, a struggle with infertility is, is, is a, uh, partnership struggle, right? There's right. a, there's, there are two parties involved and that means two different sets of emotions, two different paces in that journey, two different, you know, oftentimes places that you're at in the journey. And so can you just help me? How did you guys navigate that together? What are some important things that we need to understand in terms of like your husband's perspective in all of this? Yeah, I would say number one, it's so important to give each other the space to grieve differently. You're different people, you're different genders, and you're going to grieve things differently. Um, and I think we did that well. Um, and one of the things that was really helpful for us is that we did have other people other than our spouse to talk to about this. I think it creates extra stress on a marriage when you are your spouse is the only person that you're talking to about this because I had a need to verbally process much more than my husband did. And if he was the only one I was verbally processing my emotions with, that would wear him out. And it would become the only thing that we ever talked about. And that's not healthy in a marriage. Um, and it's too much for any one person to carry alone. And I don't think it's wise. And so that's another reason why I'm a huge advocate for having somebody other than your spouse to talk to about this because we were meant to do life together and that's that's a heavy heavy load to put on one person and and I just believe God created male and female differently they're equal but different and my husband um I love him dearly but he struggles in the like deep emotional category and so for me, like, I he's a fixer too. He like I would be upset, and he's like, "Well, let, let's just fix this." And I'm like, "I don't want to be fixed. I just want to verbally process my emotions." <laughs> and so it was really good for us to have another avenue to talk about it, so that that wasn't the only thing that we talked about. Um, and I think just honoring and respecting each other. We never ever um, played the blame game. It was like. It takes two to make a baby. It doesn't matter whose fault this is. Like, I am in this together. And we decided early on we didn't want, and this is, I'm not saying that this is like the right answer for everyone. Everyone needs to decide this on their own. But we didn't want to use an egg or a sperm donor because we wanted like our biological kid or we were, we wanted to pursue adoption. And so that was a decision that we made. And I think just talking about a lot of these things on the front end so that when you are in the heat of the emotional place, you're not making these decisions. Um, decide ahead of time so that you know and you can stand on those decisions because when you're really in an emotional place, it's not a good time to make these heavy, heavy decisions. So, yeah, I think... I think we gave each other the space. We were there when we for each other when we needed it, but gave each other the space that we needed to process and deal with it and just didn't play the blame game. Like, we're in this together um, in sickness and in health, and 
making sure we were on the same page. Like, I think a lot of times um, marriage is tested in this space when one spouse is like hell bent on pushing this dream through to the very end and the other spouse is feeling the need to stop or push pause and they can't agree. So I think unity is a very strong biblical principle and especially unity in marriage. And if you're not on the same page with your spouse about what the next step is, um, that's where like you need to keep talking until you get there because yeah, that's going to cause a lot of issues. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah, that that's I mean, there are a lot of different grief journeys that have this element to it where you're walking through it together. You know, infertility is um probably one that emphasizes that even more because even the creation of life <laughs> it requires the two of you coming together and walking this journey together. Um I wonder along the same vein, you know, you help a lot of people who are working through inf- infertility themselves, but you also help a lot of people who are uh, helping others or they have someone in their life who is working through it. How would you advise that person? You know, someone's listening to this. They're like, Hey, yeah, my, uh, my, my sibling, my sister's struggling through this or my, my daughter, you know, or my, there's, there's so many of us that we know people in our life. How do you, how would, how would you, if you were sitting down to have coffee with them right now, advise them in journeying that with their loved one? Yeah, it's so good. And I think this is another passion of mine because I realized through my journey, people don't know what to say. They don't know how to love on someone going through hard things at all. It's a very uncomfortable thing for a lot of people to get in the valley with people journeying through grief. Um, But I would say the number one thing is before you jump in, you have to know that you can't fix this. You cannot fix this. You cannot take the pain away. Um, you're not God. And you like that's, and I struggle with this too, loving my friends through hard things. Like I wish I could take it away. I wish I could bring your mom back or take the cancer away, but I can't. And so recognizing that and then making sure you're filtering everything you say from that lens of, I I can't fix this. And, and a lot of times listening is so much more powerful than talking. Um, they just need you and need you to be there and to listen. They don't really need your advice unless they ask. So, um, just be there and listen and encourage them and love on them and tell them, I'm so sorry you are walking through this. This is like, the broken parts of this world that we live in and remind them of truth. Nothing that you did led you here. And I'm sorry. So, I mean, I think that's what I would say is listen more than you talk and recognize that you can't fix this and, and just be there. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, it might be really easy for someone to listen to this uh, or watch it on YouTube and, and go, well, Megan, it's really easy for you to, to say these things, to share these things, to step into the space because you guys got your miracle babies, right? You know, your journey is, is over, 
right? You're, you're not in that, you're not grieving that anymore. Uh, first of all, I would just say this, if you're having that, that thought, you know, just because Megan and her husband, they have received their, their miracle babies, that doesn't discredit the journey that she's been on and the, the struggle that she's worked through. It doesn't discredit anything that she's saying. Right. But the, the reality is, is the grief isn't over for you. There's still a lot of stuff that comes along with even after having kids that you're sorting through and you're working through as well. Can you kind of enlighten us to that? Yeah. I mean, I would say if that's how you feel, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like for anybody who's walked through infertility, there is guilt and it's not of God on the other side. Like why, why was my answer? Yes. Is this, this is something I've wrestled with a lot. Like why was the answer? Yes. For me and no for other people. Um, and it's something I'll never understand this side of heaven. And if you're still on the other side, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. And I wish I could change it and fix it for you, but I can't. Um, but I would say too that I don't know. It's this is a hard, like it's definitely something that everybody who wrestles with infertility walks through. And and something that I constantly remind people who are on their journey and and something that people don't talk about enough, like you just want to get to that positive pregnancy test so bad. And then, and then that, that first ultrasound to make sure everything's okay. And then that next ultrasound to make sure everything's okay. But Satan tries everything that he can to rob you of the joy of the, like from the other side on the other side, like with fear, fear, the fear that I experienced on the other side was crippling. And I've seen this be a common theme through so many people's journey is like you wanted and you waited so hard to earn so long and, and went through so much to get here. And then you can't even enjoy it because you are so afraid of losing it. And I would just say like, you have to check your heart and surrender daily because pregnancy is, is a struggle for every, uh, and fear is a reality of, for a lot of pregnant people. Um, because you, you can't really control. It's a wrestling of this surrender because you want to be able to control and keep your baby safe. Um, but you can't, you, there's only so much that you can do to care for this baby growing inside you. And, um, so anyways, I'm not even sure if I answered your question, right. But, um, no, that's exactly, yes, that's exactly. I mean, I think it's important to recognize that no matter what stage you're at in life, it doesn't matter. I mean, if we're talking about infertility or, you know, having had a baby or some other, you know, some other situation, no matter what stage you are in life, it's, first of all, we can't discredit each other's journeys. We can't, you know, um, because of that. But second of all, there is grief and pain and loss and suffering involved in every stage of life. There's fear. There's the enemy is masterful at taking the good things that God created and twisting and perverting those things and leveraging our pain and suffering to try to steal, kill, and destroy anything that he can in our life and cripple us from being effective, to, from being, from living in shalom and peace, right? With God. 
And, um, and so I, I, that's exactly, you know, what, um, I mean, that, that is so insightful, Megan, to be able to say like, Hey, th- I wasn't even able to experience the fullness of joy of what I wanted to, because I was so crippled by fear in a lot of situations. Yeah. This. And I would say like you infertility, something like this, like, and even the trauma that you've walked through of losing your wife, like it's not something that you move on from, like you carry it with you forever. It's just like, how can I move forward with this? Because for example, like not all that long ago, I mean, I feel like I'm five years removed from the intense grief of maybe six years, um, of my journey, but even fairly recently, I was standing around with an, a lot of other women my age and they were having a conversation about like having babies and, and it was just, I'm not going to go into the depths of the conversation, but it was, I stood, I stood there and I, when I left the conversation, I got in my car and burst into tears because I couldn't relate. Their story was nothing like mine because they didn't go through infertility. They could just have sex and get pregnant. And they were talking a lot about that. And I felt like a fish out of water and I was trying to hold it together, but it was, it came up all over again. And because that wasn't my journey. And, um, so all that to say, like, you don't move on from the hard things in your life. You move forward with it and you have to learn to live with this new hole that's been bandaged up. I mean, you can you can bandage up and heal from these scars on your heart, but they're not gone. They're definitely not gone. They're still there. And sometimes the, the bandaid gets ripped off and the blood starts rushing again and you have to get back in there and, and heal more. Um, but yeah, it, you learn to move forward with it. That's so good. That's so good. Well, you know, through your journey, you've, um, and the insights that you've, you've received from your journey, you've written this book called Give Grace. I'm really intrigued by the name, by the title. I want to know where that came from. I always love to hear from authors on where that where where that they decide to title their books, right? Um, mine's easy. It's called "Nothing Is Wasted." That's pretty simple. It's self-explanatory, it. right? But other like this one, "Give Grace." There's something that is so powerful about that title, and I bet there's a lot of stuff behind it. Can you tell me a little bit about what what is this whole journey taught you about grace and give yeah. grace? Yeah, it was it became a huge part of my story because I did share my journey before we had our happy ending. Um, I, I think that's how I grew my platform. Um, and more eyes got on my story is because we shared in the middle of it before we started to share right after our first IVF didn't work. And we had no idea what was our, how our journey was going to end. We didn't know if we were ever going to be able to afford IVF again, if we would go through it again, if we would ever have kids of our own. And in that time, I started sharing a lot about grace and how it's important to give ourselves grace in this process. Because when you're grieving, you're not the same person that you were when you're not in a season of grief, you're not capable of the same things emotionally that you once were and that you will be again. Um, but when I was in that deep season of grief, I wasn't the friend that I wanted to be. I, um, couldn't experience the fullness of joy and, you know, just 
the I just I was I was different in an emotional place a different emotional place than I what had ever been before and I held myself to the old standard of like I I used to be this kind of friend I used to be thoughtful and used to be able to pour myself out for others and I can't right now and I had a lot of guilt in that and so just giving myself grace to know this is a season and it's not forever prayerfully um but I need to have grace for myself in this season so that I can when the waves of grief come because they are waves and some days I will feel okay and some hours I will feel okay and then others like the wave comes and it crashes hard and you're just like trying to breathe um so grace was really important for me for myself and then for others like as I'm sure you have learned um your fair share of this but people don't know what to say they don't know what to do and so a lot of times they say nothing or they run away because they feel awkward or uncomfortable or they say all the wrong things they don't mean to say the wrong things but they do and I needed this reminder to give grace to others while I'm walking this journey because they just don't know. And it's easy to get mad and frustrated and think that they should know. Um, But they don't. And that's where grace comes in. And so it's just become a a huge part of my story. Um, You can't have grace without truth and you can't have truth without grace. Um, But in scripture, it tells us that Jesus is full of both. It's not half and half. It's he is full of grace and full of truth and that it's hard. I I really wrestle with how, and I have to remind myself, you're not Jesus. That's why you struggle with this. But like, how, how do I be full of both? Like, is this enough truth? Is this enough grace? Like, how am I being full of both? Um, so let me know if you have any wisdom for me on that <laughs> because I am constantly struggling. Um, but yeah, that's where the name yeah. came from. It's just a huge part of my journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I find that we each have a, a propensity toward one more than the other. You know, our personalities lend toward one more than the other. Some are a lot, lot more truth, you know, some are a lot more grace. And I think that the kingdom of God needs all of those, right. To help balance each other out. But you're right. Jesus was the full embodiment of 100% grace, 100% truth, and he's the only one that's ever aced that one in, right. his, in, in all of historical existence. The right. rest of us are trying to figure out how to become more like Christ. And our painful journeys are a part of the process of becoming more like Christ. We become image bearers of him as we walk through this, and 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 he refines us, and he and he changes us and transforms us through these painful things we've gone through. And Megan's very evident that that's the, that's been the case for you. You know, it's just really cool to see how God has brought you through all of this and um, is continuing to bring you through all of this because none of our journeys are done until the day we see Jesus. Amen. And um, and so I I appreciate you sharing 
vulnerably with us and transparently. And I appreciate the work that you're doing right now to, to take your pain and move it toward purpose. We'll make sure that we put all the the resources that Megan's talked about in the show notes here. We want to make sure you draw we draw your attention again to Give Grace, which is the, the book that she has recently released, um, How to Embrace the Beauty of Life's Brokenness. That's the subtitle of the book. It's a beautiful book, a beautiful title and subtitle. And and then also the sisterhood community that you have created to help other people who are wrestling through infertility and those who are helping others who are wrestling through infertility. I appreciate that work. I think it's so important and imperative what you're doing. So thanks for spending time with us and everything you're doing right now. Thank you so much for having me. This was a edifying conversation for me. So I'm thankful. Well, I officially love Megan Smalley. I know, uh, I know. Love her wisdom, love her story, and so grateful that she she shared with our with yeah. our listeners. Yeah, so so good. Wonderful insight, wonderful conversation, wonderful thing that yeah. she's doing right now. I mean, here's the thing. This is what's so cool about going from pain to purpose. So many times we have this idea that you have to like start a whole ministry or you have to like leave your job and do it. And that's <laughs> right. not the case. She right. runs a business. She runs her own business, right? Yeah. And it's something that she's doing aside from, right? It's not, it wasn't necessarily a part of her story, but she loves that business. But she also is interacting in this space and, and she's, she's created a space for other people to interact. And, um, and, and it's providing a lot of purpose for her and a lot of, it's yeah a lot of healing in and of itself, you know? And so I think that I want to, I want to always encourage you guys to be creative as you go mm-hmm. from pain to purpose. Like, mm-hmm. Don't get pigeonholed into Ugh. like what Aubrey does to bring purpose from her pain or what, what I do to bring right. purpose from my right. pain. Like everybody's calling is unique and it's different. And yeah, and you have it's to, so, so beautiful. You have to hear from God, which by the way, I nice think is segue. an important thing to talk about in this, Aubrey, because we've got these kind of uh, gray areas mm-hmm. you know, that, that Megan and I brought up in terms of how do you wrestle with something that doesn't isn't stated yeah. explicitly in scripture, you know? Yeah. So I think this is such a great question. Obviously, she's talking about it in terms of pursuing fertility treatments, but yeah. I think finding God's guidance, God's yeah. yes or no, in any situation where there just aren't very clear biblical mm. guidance, right? Like, yeah, what do not... we do then? And right. so obviously there are some things in the Bible that are just like, yeah, no, we didn't know God's word says it done. Right. Not that we don't right. wrestle, but, but there yeah. are some things like this where it's like, it's sort of what we would call gray. Yeah. And I, I mean, Davey, as a, as a ministry leader, as a pastor, I would love to know how do you counsel people when they're in one of those wrestling through one yeah. of those? I have some thoughts. So I'd love to hear what you how you lead people in that too. Yeah. Um, so I think it's very important to differentiate those things, right? Like yeah. what are, what are precepts and what are preferences? As I've heard mm. it said, I don't like the word preferences though, because I think that that just kind of defers to like whatever you want. Yeah. And I don't think that's the case with this area that we're talking about. We're talking about almost yeah. like in between where it's like, I really do want to know what God wants me to do in this. Like, I do really want to follow after his will and his way in this, but there's not a precept around this in scripture. And so, first of all, I think we have to acknowledge, like, what what categorically, what fits into those precepts, what fits into these, like, you know, things that 
that aren't explicitly stated, but yeah, you know. that's good. And so, so that's the first step that I counsel mm-hmm. people in is like, mm-hmm. let's, let's figure out which bucket this fits into. And then mm-hmm. from there, I typically try to help people create, uh, I really go back to the experiencing God thing, to be honest with you, the Henry Blackerby. Yeah. Often, yeah. Where yeah. this is, this was pivotal for me growing up as a, as like a, I mean, I was a kid when I went through experiencing God and learned, Oh, this is how God usually leads us to things. And so he talks about, okay, the way that we hear from God is through God's word, through the Holy Spirit's mm-hmm. inflection yeah. in God's word yeah. and, and guidance in God's word. And then, um, our, our circumstances really help to inform a lot of things as well. So we can yep. read almost like you can see the seasons of the, you know, like you can see mm-hmm. when a storm's about to come in, you can kind of read those mm-hmm. seasons. Jesus even talks about that, right. In terms mm-hmm. of predicting the, the, yep. the, the ways the next season is going to be. And then, um, godly counsel. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. a huge piece to this, especially yes. in this topic when it comes to, to IVF and fertility and other, but any topic it's how do I surround myself with godly wisdom? Cause that's what we're talking yep. about. We're talking about wisdom here. It's yep. not necessarily God's like precepts or laws or commands. It's like, what is wisdom and how do we operate in wisdom to come yeah. to the fullness of joy in Christ? Yeah. So how do we so have good. full shalom, peace and joy in Christ? And, and what do we need to do in order to move in that direction? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, that's that's what I would say first is like how do you buffer yourself and your decision mm-hmm. with those four things? Yeah, I think that's so, I think that last piece is so important because I we, you know we of course like our individual walks with God matter so deeply. Like we have a personal God who wants to who wants to meet with us individually, but I do sometimes think we tend to ignore the communal aspect of our yeah. faith that we're actually we're a body, we're a family, right. and so godly wisdom like be in your christian community get feedback yeah. from people that are safe and have walked a journey ahead of you and and you can make godly decisions with other people this doesn't right. have to just be like god told me therefore i do well let's let's talk to the godly mentors yeah. uh, your even your even the people you're in small group with and and they they can read aspects of your life too they can read the yeah. times too they can read the holy spirit too yeah. and together sometimes i think that helps us navigate some of these trickier grayer areas um as as we hear from other voices right so like good. sometimes god just speaks to other people for us and that helps right right Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a clarity. They're not emotionally involved in the decision yeah. as much as yeah. we are. So, yeah. you know, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, mm. it succeeds. That's what Proverbs tells us, you know, Amen. that there's safety, word. there's safety and an abundance of counselors yeah. is what God's word yeah. tells us. And so yeah. if you want to find, kind of get that decision refined down to the the best one, you need to find people who are, you know, godly following after the Lord that are well-versed in scripture, surround yourself yep. with them. I would yep. also encourage you to find people that maybe don't agree with you too. Like not, so not good, solely, Davey. don't, but don't find people who solely agree with you and solely Yeah. You need kind of that, those opposing mm-hmm. uh, insights to, to really, I mean, that's, this mm-hmm. is how a diamond is created in, in the natural world, right? Yep. It's like heat yep. and pressure and heat and pressure from all different angles yeah. And and so that creates this beautiful diamond uh and this precious jewel and that's that's what we want our decisions to be. That's and good. so it has to be peppered from all sides with heat and pressure and refined yeah. and looked at and, and then and then we can go we can walk in confidence. And I think that's what we really wanted. We want to walk in peace. 
That's what we desire. Totally. Like knowing we're, we're doing yeah. what God wants us to do. Yeah. And then I think the hard part too is sometimes God is like, hey, here, you got some options. True. You've got some free will. <laughs> I, I bless it all. I bless whatever. And now I'm not yeah. saying God does that all the time, but sometimes nope. it's just like, hey, I gotcha. It's all good no matter what you choose. And that's so exactly I think that's. Right. That helps us too when we're when we're with other people, sort of navigating what the spirit is doing. It's yeah. it's nice to know all of those things. I would think I would in my experience. I don't know, if it, but in my experience, it's like that's like the last stop right there. Or if you've whittled, if you kind of filtered yeah. everything through these, yeah, that's a good way. And to, it's like then we still can't quite. There, we've got these couple of doors we could walk mm-hmm. through, and it still feels like that this, it's nothing's emerging. Then it might yeah. be that God's going, hey, go and do what your hand sees fit. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, what do you want right? to do? Right. Go right. do it. I've got you. Yep. I've got your back. And I love yep. that. That's really good, Aubrey. Oh man. Okay. One of the things like that I that I love, and I know I know we're kind of pumping this right now, listeners, but we do we take this very seriously. Yeah. One of the reasons that I love our community platform and community plus over at nothingiswasted.com slash community is because I some people on that platform are wrestling with some of these like gray questions. And so that is a space. If you need safe people to wrestle through some of these things together, that's why we've created this resource for you. Again, you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash community, actual like flesh and blood people there to talk with these questions through. We talk about some of the questions here on the podcast, but then there's also there's coaching, there's content, there's all kinds of resources for you on your journey, whatever it is you're, you're bringing before the Lord asking for guidance. We've, we've yeah. got resources there for you. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So go to nothingiswasted.com, check out the community, check out all the, the other resources, pain to purpose course or certified coaches. We want to help you partner with God to take back your story. You can also yeah. follow us on Instagram. You can follow Aubrey at Obsamp. You can follow me at Davy Blackburn. Follow us as a ministry at nothing is wasted ministries. We do a lot of giveaways there too. So you'll want to be, uh, tuning in as we release those giveaways. Um, and then we want to thank sleeping at last for providing all the music for the nothing is wasted podcast. If you are new and you're tuning in, you're like, man, this is really great music. I like this. This is very flowy and very moody and very, it is very flowy yes, and moody. Yes. It is one of our favorites, uh, yeah. Chicago native, right? Aubrey, yeah. right up That's in right. your area, sleeping at last, Ryan O'Neill. You can find all of his music sleeping at last, um, where you can download and stream music. We want to encourage you to do that. And then um, we want to encourage you to listen next week because next week we have a wonderful conversation with Katie Piazza or, okay. So it could be (laughs) pronounced Piazza or Piazza. All right. So here's the deal. There was a baseball player growing up. I don't know if you guys remember this, but I, Mike Piazza, everybody, everybody said Piazza. Like Piazza. Like Piazza, right? Yeah. I think, and I feel like that's just very, that's the Italian way to do it, right? Katie Pia- Piazza. Hey, speaking of Chicago, there's a lot of Italians in Chicago, right? Oh, we got there's a like, lot. We got a awesome. whole lot of Italians down here. So there's some of our good friends are the Italians. If you in are Chicago. a listener of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast and you have Italian roots, we want you to f- tell us, let us know, is it Piazza or Piazza? Yeah, that's great. That Give would be. Because I know, it's, I feel like it's, <laughs> it's, it's interchangeable. In our in, we could also ask Katie what she wants, and then we'll do that instead. <laughs> we're gonna get, we're gonna bring Katie the polls, and we're gonna say, okay, Katie, this I is how you should idea. pronounce the, your last this name. This is what okay. the, our Italian <laughs> listeners have said. I like that. That's really oh, I good. Love it. <laughs> love oh, it. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Davy's conversation with Katie Piazza. <laughs>
it is like walking on a tightrope because you want to hope, but then you're scared to hope because maybe you've had your hopes dashed so many times. And I I remember thinking of it more like, um, like whenever you have a broken limb and you're so tender, like you don't want Mm -hmm. to, um, maybe put weight on it when it's time to like regain strength, because you're so afraid that when you put weight on it, it's going to give way. And so that's almost how we come when you've had trauma in your life. It's almost like you, you feel uncomfortable when things are going so well, because you think it's going to, the, the rug's going to get pulled out from under me again. And I remember struggling with that, um, significantly with Colette because she did have in a total of three relapses during Mm -hmm. her lifetime. So it was, it was difficult, um, learning how to balance hope and faith and all those things. In, in a sense, I, I came to the conclusion because I did struggle with that so much that my hope wasn't so much in an outcome. Mm-hmm. It was more in my God. My hope wasn't, Colette's going to get well. My hope is my God will do what is right. 